Welcome to the Coffee and Chi Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Lashan. As an intuitive coach, I support people who want to live their life in alignment with their soul purpose. I absolutely love sharing the many ways that you can raise your vibration with nature's magic and our own deep inner knowingness. If you are ever visiting the Columbia River Gorge in Stevenson, Washington, do stop by the cabin drive-thru and say hello. Let's fill up our coffee cup and talk to people who are helping us to raise the vibration of the planet. Welcome back, high vibe beings. Are you being gentle on yourself? You may have started out the new year with the greatest intentions. However, it's common for us to get distracted and off course from reaching our goals. Statistically, I believe it's around January 19th that we typically see people begin to fall away from their big goals that they set. Remind yourself that each day is a new day and give yourself grace. We are often so hard on ourselves. I've been hard on myself and hardwired to do that. And I I've worked intentionally to change this. It's easy to fall back into old unwanted habits and I'm often feeling like I'm starting over and over again, but it's all really part of my growth journey and it's okay. One essential oil that I've been using lately is gardenia. Gardenia is very supportive of the heart chakra. It is the oil of compassion. It's a fabulous oil to use during the intensity of the full moon to lift our spirits and heighten our vibration. A beautiful blend that I found in the second edition of the Gifts of the Essential Oils book on page 89. It's called Tender Moon Magic, and the blend is gardenia, jasmine, and roman chamomile, and it's heavenly. So try diffusing it or blend it with some fractionated coconut oil and apply over the heart chakra. If you have ever wanted to begin a meditation practice, we have the perfect guest today. Melissa Matterin from Meditation for Regular People is going to give us tips on how to start a meditation practice. If you are able to visit the Columbia River Gorge and attend any of her classes in person, you will not only love it, you'll definitely want to come back again. She has a magnetic personality and she's having such an impact locally. We bring you today, Melissa. Good morning, Melissa. It's so great to see you. Hello, Lori. So before we get started, what is in your coffee cup this morning? I got a little chai tea in here. Yum. Spicy or? Spicy with no milk, just plain. Yum. If I am awake, I have either a cup of coffee or a cup of chai tea. I love chai so much in all the different ways. (laughs) But I always start with coffee. My um, motto is I don't drink coffee to wake up. I wake up to drink coffee. Yeah. I know. I still have not, not able to cut myself off of it completely. I've had periods of time where I do, I just go back to it. I love it so much. It's so comforting. So I'm so excited that we're talking about this because it's the beginning of the year and people are looking for new great habits to form for the the next year. And so we're going to be talking today about how to start your own meditation practice and the benefits of meditation. So can you tell me a little bit about your style of meditation? I will tell you, I've attended your classes. I love your style. It's very different to me from what I've been used to, but why don't you speak to that, your meditation for regular people? Right. And I want to talk about how we came to that name because I had a really good friend who was quite accomplished, you know, much like yourself. 
And she came to my very first meditation class to support me. I can't even remember what we called it, but I asked people, what are your barriers to having a meditation practice? And she said, I'm not special enough. And my heart broke because I know she's special and I know I'm not that special and I'm able to do it. And that night, my husband and I said, let's call our business meditation for regular people. And we want to bring people who are afraid that that's them. They're afraid of it. When I'm not cool enough, I'm not holy enough. Um, I'm religious. I might go to hell. Um, I don't know what to do. What if I look stupid? What if I go to a meditation class and I'm not in the know and I feel worse? You know, with 90% of people being crisis meditators, they're already fragile when they come in. Right. You know, we wanted to make sure that we really met them where they were and um, help them in whatever way possible. There are 8 billion people in the world and there are 8 billion styles of meditation. You can't be in someone's head. And, you know, you've been with me. I teach two things. Put some space between stimulus and whatever your reaction is, and perhaps even a response if it's <laughs> we're really on that day. And being kind to ourselves when we've yelled at someone or been angry with ourselves, or we find ourselves wandering meditation, always being kind to ourselves because we are so unkind. That voice in our head is so unkind. It has a constant commentary. You know, as you've heard me say, no one wakes up in the middle of the night celebrating how great their life is. Yeah. People wake up angsting and grinding and we wanted to relieve that. And when you look at, I teach a Buddhist style of meditation. Now the Buddha said, I teach one thing and one thing only, which is suffering and how to relieve suffering, which I count as two. The Buddha gets to assign whatever number he wants, <laughs> but that's it. So what, what does it look like? So I came into this. I was also a crisis meditator. I was a, I was a jock. I was an athlete. I managed all my stress with athletics and I got hurt. So okay. I was out for 24 weeks with two surgeries and I was bananas. When you're a mover, it's really hard. Or if, you know, work or kids or whatever is your meditation, suddenly there was a big change. And I realized I was probably going to lose my kids. I was starting to lose time with my kids because they didn't want to be around me. I was struggling with my husband and I went, I have got to make a change. So that's 90% of the people that I meet. Um, but we're Americans. We want it fast. Right. <laughs> yes. Can I wear a patch? Can I, you know, can I get it faster? How can I mainline it? I don't want to wait. And we say you should check in on your meditation practice every 10 years. That doesn't really fit in with, we got to get it fast. When you can, yeah. you know, if you live in a big city, you can get Uber, you can get an Uber in 20 minutes and you can get a meal for 10 in about 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it goes kind of against the way that the Western world works right now. So, um, so that's sort of the long answer of what it looks like. So I teach, I teach Buddhist breath meditation. You might hear it as mindfulness meditation or shamatha vipassana. Uh, I teach that and shamatha is stabilization and vipassana is introspection or insight. You know, we can't have those insights, which is what everybody wants, which yeah. you know you can get it. You can psychedelic mushrooms, ayahuasca, whatever, breath works, you can alter yourself to touch a little bit of that, but for a long-term access, 100% access to insight, uh, the shamatha vipassana is the way for sure. I really encourage people, all you have is an app, great, but wean yourself off the app so you're sitting on your own. So you can sit on your own. That means you can sit anywhere, anytime, any place. You don't have to worry if you're hooked up or you don't like this person's voice and really just to sit down, watch your breath. That's what we start with and allow things to develop. And then we treat all of our thoughts as 
um, the same, whether you're thinking about, you know, the most delicious cheesecake you've ever had, me yesterday, um, or <laughs> uh, a hellacious ice storm, also me yesterday. We treat everything the same because it comes in and gently go back to our breath over and over. And it's not how long we can sit piously on our little cushion with our little robe and our special picture of Buddha. It's how kindly we can come back to our breath again and again and again. And then you're training your brain that it's okay to let go. I don't have to grind all the way through this. I don't have to take every conversation in my head to fruition. I can let it go mid-sentence. Does that make sense? Yeah. I shared with you, I was just so fascinated by the open-eyed meditation that we were doing. I had never done that before. Everything I realized after, because I hadn't really explained it in my head, what I was doing and what meditation was to me and my experiences with meditation. But I realized that I had been doing more of the visualization type of meditation or guided meditation is what I am more familiar with. And so that was so different for me to do the open-eyed, the sitting, but oh my gosh, it was so powerful. I just noticed for, I mean, just that first session, the whole next week, I was so focused. I noticed that difference and it was very powerful. Thank you. You got it. You got it on the first shot. It's not escaping from anything. And there's plenty of times, I think particularly in a modern world where there is so much stimulation. I just read a new statistic that we take in, I think it's 60 meg of information in a day, which a movie is only four meg. A full-on HD movie is only four meg. So we're taking in so much information. I think building those breaks in where you might do a guided meditation, you might do a little breath work or a little, you know, little binaural beats or something to just kind of give your brain a break. But for that true kind of clarity and being at peace with the world, being in the present moment, that's it. That's the thing of, I'm not trying to get away from anything. I'm trying to have a more comfortable relationship or a more skillful relationship with what is arising right now. And even, you know, I'll give you an example is, you know, we're in a new house. We've been here for a year and a half. This was our first big windstorm, ice storm. We don't know the house the way we knew our old house. You know, I knew every place to, to make sure that things were okay. And it was six o'clock in the morning. I'm meditating. So I'm in that meditative being aware state. And I'm hearing the wind whistling and whipping and stuff sitting in the house. And suddenly I start to hear an incredible banging that doesn't sound good. And I realize it's coming from the furnace unit outside. Oh gosh. Of course, you know, people ask me, well, should I stop med-? You know, what, what would cause me to stop a meditation? If you think you're burning the furnace motor, definitely stop. Check yeah. on it. <laughs> if you, you know, if you think maybe you'd like to make some coffee, no furnace motor burning up. <laughs> yes. And went down to knock the ice off of, but I could feel my fear rising and rising and rising and my trepidation about what if, what if, what if, and really being with it and saying, okay, let's come back to the present moment, come back to the present moment and be with what's happening in a more skillful way. That is a typical meditation. And when you're starting out, what would be a really good amount of time for someone to start with? meditating like every day for so many minutes or well every day is really important because if you do it every day you don't have to remember what days to do it 
and then you don't tend to stack it. Oh, I missed tomorrow. Well, yet today, well, I'll do two Wednesday or whatever. Every day, the joke with meditation teachers is don't make a bargain with yourself that you're going to meditate for a half hour every day, unless you're at 25 minutes, six days a week. Start slow. Again, we, you know, we want to, it's January, everybody slams in gym membership, this, that, I'm going to make this decision, really starting with five minutes. And they're not going to be great. It's going to be a lot of coming back to your breath, coming back to your breath. What am I doing? So the most important thing is find a place in your house. You don't have to build an altar. You don't have to have crystal bowls. You just need a place where this is the place because that takes that decision out. When we have to make a lot of decisions, we won't get there. So right. decide on your place. It doesn't have to be a cushion. I actually meditate on my couch because I like to sit in front of the window and then start with five minutes. And then after a couple of days, maybe add a minute or two. And maybe in your first two weeks, try to build up to about 10 minutes a day and then come up to 15, maybe two weeks later, bring yourself up to 15 and two weeks later, bring yourself up to 20 and hold it 20 until you feel really comfortable with 20. 20 seems to be doable. If you look at the science, I've read a couple of books that the, the tipping point seems to be between 13 and 15 minutes that you feel the benefits might have a little more clarity. I might be able to, you know, put some space between stimulus and response at about 13 to 15 minutes. And this has been studied on, you know, military and, you know, controlled situations like that. But the more you sit, the more you're going to find that little bit of space between what's going on in your head and what's really happening. And it's all, it really is. I wish I had some big reveal that you could reveal on your podcast. Oh my God, <laughs> the secret of meditation. It really is coming back to your breath over and over again. And you're going to get bored. We call it cool boredom, where you think you could sit all day. I could sit like this all day. It's kind of like you've had some kids, like your six months of pregnancy. Oh, I could be pregnant forever. Oh. <laughs> the difference between the ninth month where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't even move. We call that hot boredom when you just kind of barely, barely sit. And then the cool boredom when you think I could do this all day. And that lasts about 10 seconds. <laughs> And we're back in. And, and as you've heard me say, we have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. Many of them occur during meditation. If you don't have any thoughts, you're actually clinically dead. So it's good to have thoughts during meditation because you're still alive. And, and having, as you notice, I have a sense of humor about it. You got to have a sense of humor about what's going through your brain when you're meditating. The craziest stuff comes up. Sometimes <laughs> painful, sometimes crazy, sometimes funny, sometimes wacky. But just being with whatever comes up in the kindest way possible. Well, and you had suggested right away, I know in your class to go ahead and do the open-eyed meditation. Do you suggest that's where everybody starts or? If your eyes get dry, go ahead and close them. You know, let's, we're not here to torture and we open our eyes to be with what is. And also if you've, if you've, you know, I'm air quoting, tried to meditate and failed, it's often because we get jarred, a dog barks, a bird sings, oh, a bird interrupting my enlightenment. But when you have your eyes open, you're aware of what's going on, but you're not connecting with, you're just being with whatever arises. So I really do suggest that eye opening. I had meditated for eight years with my eyes closed. And then I took on a new teacher and my teacher right away said, you will sit for 30 days with your eyes open. The nature of my personality is if I'm going to pay, I, it was a private teacher. Mm -hmm. If you're going to pay someone, do what they say. Yeah. And so I did, and it really shifted the way that I meditate and the way that I am present 
with my thoughts and meditation got a lot because I wasn't afraid of, you know, what's the dog doing? What's going on? What's going on in my world? And I wouldn't get that jolt if the phone rang or someone dropped something. I can meditate with tons and tons of noise. Well, it seems like you would in a situation, like if you were in a stressful situation, because you're used to having your eyes open, that you would be able to calm yourself more quickly, just that it's kind of normal to be in that moment. Correct. I don't have to go huddle in a corner with my headphones and say, everyone leave me alone. I have to go meditate. And even just taking that breath when something comes up, I wish we could film me fighting with my husband because we both meditate. We don't fight very often, but you know, we're normal. And you can see both of us take a breath before we say anything. (laughs) You can actually see the chest rise because hours and hours and hours together of sitting. And we only sit 20, I sit 30 minutes a day. He sits 20 minutes a day. So just that little bit trains you to take a breath. And I really noticed during the pandemic, I had not driven very much because we lived in the city. I didn't need to. I didn't drive at night for almost two years because there was nowhere to go. So first time I went to drive at night, I was fairly terrified. I went, this is really different. Yeah. Very different stimulation. And just going to my breath and remaining calm instead of death grip on the steering wheel, death grip on the brake, I was able to you know, loosen up my level of stress just by breathing and driving. Now that's definitely not a good time to close your eyes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nay, have you heard of walking meditation? Love it. Yeah. Is that different? It's being aware of, and and there's lots of different ways to do walking meditation. Sometimes if you're at retreats, everyone is going really slowly and it looks like a, it looks like a very kind zombie apocalypse. <laughs> They're really feeling the ground or I walk at more of a leisurely pace. Um, I've used it to break up longer meditations. If you're doing like a three hour meditation, sometimes I'll, you know, those will be embedded in retreats. They'll usually fit some walking meditation in there because most people aren't used to sitting that long, but also being aware. It's a tremendous way to to meditate. I don't believe it's a, a substitution for sitting, but if you're someone who absolutely cannot sit still, first of all, come over and sit by me. I'm wiggling too, but it's a great way to get started with some mindfulness and to build some mindfulness in your day. You know, you may not be able to leave your workplace and go sit somewhere. Might be cold, might might look too weird. A lot of people worry about looking weird. Uh, But a walking meditation, just being mindful of your feet touching the ground and being mindful of everything that's around you and taking it in. Wonderful, wonderful ways to meditate. And you and I live in a very beautiful place. It's easy to do a walking meditation here and just really kind of be with every leaf on the trail. Yeah. Be with the sky, be with the birds. I often tell people if they're going to the ocean or for a vacation, that's not the time to not meditate. Just sit in front of the ocean. The ocean's going to teach you more than I will ever possibly teach you. Love it. Well, I'm I'm so excited. You have some really great offerings coming up. If you want to work with Melissa, you have a website. We are going to put it in the show notes. Um, can you also tell us about some of your offerings that are coming up as well? Well, I've found that people really want to learn Buddhism in a very comfort and safe environment that doesn't seem like, oh, I'm going to get a cult or it's going to be too weird or what's going to happen or what if I do something, you know, weird in front of a monk. I'm clearly not a monk, but I like to really make Buddhism approachable for people because it is a big, I've been studying it for about 10 years and I still will go down incredibly fun rabbit holes every time I'm in a class. I'll come home, have to tell my husband everything. Just this morning, I had to, actually had to wake him up because I was so excited about something I was reading. It was such a, <laughs> I call it a peel back where a layer of the onion comes off. 
So I like to teach it in a very, you know, you've been in my classes in a very dynamic, interactive way so that people can understand it. And it's not just, I'm reading it. I'm reading it. We're talking about examples. We're living it. And I can go out and apply it on the way home. Yeah. So uh, I do have once a month at Skimania Acupuncture, I have Buddhist basics classes. Last month, we did the Four Noble Truths. We tore the doors down on what people thought about suffering and their relationship to it. And next January, we're doing the Buddhist Wheel, which is um, the iconography is beautiful. It's a depiction of all of the Buddhist teachings in one really cool art piece that is one of the only art pieces drawn by the Buddha. Oh, wow. And really explains why people do the things they do, including ourselves. And then uh, February, we're doing the Kleshas, which are the, we call them the hindrances. So when people talk about the Karen character that complains all the time, we call her Klesha Karen. <laughs> and then the Paramitas, which are kind of the cure of the Kleshas. And then in March, we're doing the Bodhisattva's Way, which is uh, another text that is near and dear to my heart that be the first time I've presented that. Really excited about that. So just making meditation approachable and also allowing people to study Buddhism and really get to know it. It is not a dogma. It's not a religion. It's a way of living that we can live more skillful. And as the Buddha said, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Just try it for yourself. And if it works, keep it. If it doesn't work, don't keep it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love, you also have weekly meditations. If you're in the Skamania County or Columbia River Gorge, come to, you have weekly meditation classes. And I will just tell you, cause I know everyone here probably knows I have my little coffee shop and I talk to people who come through the window and you're just really changing lives. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing you're doing. And, and I just, I love your classes. <laughs> So if you're in the gorge, please it's come. The, it's the teachings <laughs> and it's the people here. I was overwhelmed by how welcome I felt and how I think as a teacher, I've been able to stretch my wings a little more. The I'm quite a bold teacher to begin with, but people really been welcomed and um, genuinely heartwarmed by the level of cooperation. My mission is um, global domination through meditation. If you get 1% of the population meditating, uh, you can shift consciousness. And I think I've got it. <laughs> so let's go for 2%. Yes. Melissa, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Lori. Have a great new year. Make sure to connect with Melissa through the link in the show notes. I love following her on Instagram. Please make sure that you are subscribed to our podcast so that you don't miss the next episode. Next week, we have back the amazing and magical Amber Jane. You may remember her as the galactic medicine woman in episode five, and she helped us create a personal altar in episode 24. So she'll be here next week. Check out my current offerings at my link tree link that is also in the show notes and follow me on instagram have a blessed and high vibe day